0: Returning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, focusing on one verse this Christmas afternoon. Christmas story, as you know, is found in several of the Gospels. You have Matthew's account of the birth of the Lord Jesus and his naming dream that Joseph had to assure him smile you're on candid camera all right excuse us for this technical difficulty. And we resume. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 I believe is a wonderful Christmas text. Um, Often we focus on Matthew 1 or Luke chapter 2 or John chapter 1 the theological explanation of the uh, incarnation of the Son of God but there are many other texts we could we could look at prophecies like last week from Micah that Christ would come from Bethlehem and we could look at, at uh, Isaiah's text of the prophecy of the virgin birth or the names of Christ being wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace but this text stood out for our consideration this afternoon. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. Isn't that a wonderful text of God's amazing grace? Of the truth of Christmas. For ye know the grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, because of you, literally, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And think about something you may have read, and it's not in that passage, kind of in parentheses we'll consider that thought a little bit later. Let us pray. O Lord, please open our eyes to behold wondrous things from Your Word. Truly, great is the mystery of godliness that that God was manifest in the flesh. We pray, Lord, for a fresh thrill of the truth, the, the great miracle of the Gospel, of the incarnation of the Son of God. We pray, Lord, that You would fill us with Your Spirit and the Holy Spirit guide us to think much of Christ and then to make much of Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. I've entitled the message Three Understatements of Grace. And indeed, I consider these statements, these three statements in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, as understatements of course we know the opposite of overstatements or uh, exaggeration uh, hyperbole in the Bible for instance uh, and there's there's both, there, there are figures of speech we find in the Bible for instance uh, a hyperbole, an overstatement is when Jesus asks the Pharisees whose son is the Messiah? And their answer was, the son of David. The statement was true, but what an understatement, because Jesus is not merely the son of David. He was the son of God long, long, long before he became the son of David. The existence of Jesus or the existence of the Son of God does not begin at Bethlehem. May we say the beginning of Jesus, the man, starts at Bethlehem. But the Son of God is the same in substance, equal in power with the Father and the Spirit. And He existed from eternity past. The uncreated Creator. And so we find that the Bible has exaggeration or overstatements hyperbole but the Bible also has what we might call hyperbole, uh, that which is an understatement and we understand for instance if someone said to me or asked me this afternoon did it snow in Buffalo if I said a little uh, that would certainly be an understatement wouldn't it or someone receives 100% on their grade and they, asks, and they ask how they did, oh, okay, that would certainly be an understatement. Um, John Patton was a missionary to the cannibals in the South Sea Islands and one of the most thrilling parts of his autobiography was uh, that he told the islanders that they could get water from below. They always got water from above, from the rain. And uh, they had never, this was back in the 1800s, they had never dug a well before. They were afraid if he dug down that sharks would come up and eat them, or that he would just merely find dirt. But um, he dug and prayed and dug and prayed because he was obviously afraid. Some had tried before and gotten salt water so they thought he would just get the, uh, the ocean water and he knew that God that there, there were the possibilities of the, the veins of fresh water and and they wouldn't help him because they were afraid of demons below as well so the islanders just took, kept their distance but he just was exhausted and prayed and, and uh, he was at the bottom of the well they at least some of them i think if i know the story right they would they would pull the pull the rope for the buckets of soil that kept coming up so they would help him that far but not not any farther than that and one morning he 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 struck water and it was fresh water but i'm using an illustration about an understatement um when they said to him do you have water and he says we have water <laughs> so and this water would be used by the islanders for years to come and God used the digging of that well and I'm getting off on a rabbit trail but God used the digging of that well to turn people's hearts they had heard the gospel before but they didn't believe that his. they thought he was insane That that his God could give water from below and uh, the, the chief of the island came over and drank and they had a service in the afternoon. And he says, I, I am now trusting the God of, of uh, Missy or whatever, however they, they uh, addressed him. And many islanders came to Christ after that. And, and uh, the Lord raised up many churches uh, in his lifetime. But as we come to this text... How can we not think of these as understatements? These three statements. He was rich. He became poor. And we became rich. Really, those are understatements. He was rich. This is the origin of this great grace. These are the three understatements of grace. Or, oh, what grace. What amazing grace. These are descriptions of God's unmerited favor and mercy towards sinners. That He was rich, yet He became poor that we might become rich. So the first understatement is He was rich. The origin of grace. I mean, think about describing God merely as rich. Isn't that an understatement? He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. He's more than wealthy. He owns everything. And this Savior is equal with God. The world, the Bible says, was made by Him. What have you and I made? I'm I'm not undervaluing what you and I make, but you might make a pulpit, or a stand, or a pew, or a chair, or name it Jesus made a world he was rich I remember saying to someone years ago just quoting the verse and I said my father owns the cattle in the thousand hills and he popped up and he said who's your father he thought that I was from some wealthy family and I said he's a heavenly father the, the gold and the silver were deposited by him He commanded the heavens to rain. He commands the thunder and the lightning. He commands the sun to shine. He commands the ravens to feed a prophet. He commanded the Red Sea and the Jordan River to part. He commanded frogs and locusts to attack Egyptians. He walked on the waves of the sea. He healed a man that was born blind. He drew a fish with a coin in its mouth, and it wasn't the only fish in the the Lake Galilee. He fed millions for 40 years in the wilderness. Every day, except one day it was double. Every day he fed over 2 million people. Over 2 million people every day for 40 years. That's just staggering. He lengthened a day without the planets smashing into each other. He names and numbers the stars of the sky. Billions and billions and billions. He named them and numbers them. He knows the very numbers of all the hairs on our head, whether we have a few or many. And He knows the thoughts of billions of people simultaneously how do you it's like someone said today that uh, where God ceases teaching we cease learning <laughs> how, you can't understand that how do you understand God is also a man how do you understand omniscience knowing the thoughts of billions of people simultaneously just pick one of them out of thousands uh, it at in New York's Times Square. Just pull someone out and the Lord could tell you who it is, where they were born, everything about them, the very thoughts that they have been thinking. This is the God that's described as rich. And it's the Son of God. All three persons are equal in their infinite and uh, their amazing deity. So, What an understatement that that Jesus was rich. You'd think that the last thing that he would want to do would be to become poor. The last thing that he would want to do would be to come from heaven's splendor, to be spit on, to be blasphemed, to be to, to hear the profanity and the wickedness from the lips of fallen creatures. But the Bible says though He was rich yet for your sakes He became poor. And again it's an understatement. It's not merely that He became poor. He became condemned. He suffered God's wrath in our place. It's, it's a picture of the Son of God. Let's you, you compare the deity and the humanity in, in union. It's like a metal girder of His deity and you take a little weak wire and you weld it to it. That's the humanity being welded to His deity. And He keeps that wire welded to his, the beam of His deity forever and ever. from heaven's glory to earth's gory from angelic praise to to human profanity the Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not and the words own are in different gender one is neuter one is masculine so I think what it's saying is he came unto his own creatures and they received him The, the donkey that no one had ever been on top of before was domesticated immediately when Jesus sat on it. But when He preached to people, they blasphemed. He came unto His own beasts, His own creatures. He, again, He commanded the ravens and they probably took their meat off Baal's altars to feed Elijah. He commanded two bears out of the woods. He commanded all those animals to go to, to Noah into the ark and just continue to name the, the bees that He sent into the uh, crowds of, of uh, Canaanites, the frogs, the locusts, he commanded the sun not to shine but he went unto his own and his own people received him not talk about becoming poor he could have called 10,000 angels when they nailed him to the tree but we wouldn't be saved if he did he chose a not so handsome face we're told he was of no beauty that we should behold him the only person that could choose the kind of face—did any of us have that choice? Not a not a one of us. He chose a little town over a large city. He chose a peasant tree instead of a princely parents. He chose a carpenter shop instead of a castle. He chose to be surrounded by fishermen, tax collectors, and sinners rather than aristocracy, celebrity, and security. Indeed, He became poor. But what an understatement. He was impoverished because of our sin. He became indebted. He was condemned. And His Heavenly Father turned His face away and poured out His wrath upon Him. You talk about great grace. The infinite became an infant, the eternal, and yet He was born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son, oh, the wonder of Christmas! C.H. Spurgeon said those things. And the interesting thing is it says yet for our sakes, for your sakes literally it says because of you. And I can't help but think of it at least a couple ways. Because of you he became poor. Think about those words because of you. And you can look at that negatively or positively, can't you? Because of our fall, because of Adam's sin and our sin. This is the this is the depth he had to go to save us. We risked, and we made it dangerous for the Son of God by falling into sin. That was the only way for us to be saved was for him to become a man, and that forever. And. God determined that He would die on a cross because He wanted to show us how how wicked our sin is. You say, why didn't God just command Jesus to die a very easy death? Just a quick death. Just slit His throat quickly. They don't feel much, do they? And pre- before long, they bleed to death and it's over. And that's the hope of hunters in the woods to hit to hit the deer in the right place so the deer doesn't go very far doesn't feel much pain and dies fairly quickly but God determined that Jesus would die slowly for we know he was at least six hours on a cross and it would have been longer if he didn't determine now he's finished the job and he said I lay down my life and take it up again no man taketh it from me. He didn't commit suicide. He commanded himself to die. And through death, he destroyed the power of the devil. Rendered him ineffective. And through death, he defeated death as a monster to us. No one, no one is looking forward to dying. Are you? No, We're looking forward to what's after death. But Still, Jesus took, just like He took the the stinger from the bee. Death, where is thy sting? I don't like a bee flying around me. I don't think you do either. And I was stung driving a bus one time. The bee was knocked down my shirt by someone in the bus. and, And the bumblebee was stinging me right here while I'm trying to drive a bus. And, but if you told me if, while that bumblebee was in the air that there's no stinger in it, I wouldn't have been much, you know, much afraid of that. Let him drop down my shirt. He's not going to hurt. But Jesus, through death, destroyed death. And no longer is it a monster to us. I hope that we can be mature enough and think through the Gospel thoroughly that, that we welcome death as a butler. Ushering us into glory, into the light, ushering us into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, an understatement, because of you, so not only is it our deep fall that needed his condescension, but I look at it positively because of you, he became poor. In other words, because He loved you and me. Yes, it's true. That's the depth He had to go because of how bad our sin is. It's an offense to God. It's an insult to God. It's seeking to dethrone God. How we make light of sin. And therefore, people don't think much of having to repent of it. And people think that hell is an overkill because they, they see sin as just a disease or just a, a mistake instead of an attempt to insult and assault God and bring Him down from His throne. Sin is wicked. Oh, that we would understand the sinfulness of sin and the, the goodness of God Because He loved us, He became poor. And again, what an understatement. Thirdly, the third understatement, that ye through His poverty might become rich. And again, isn't the description of a Christian as rich an understatement? That the Lord says the world is ours at our fingertips. Though life or death Paul or Peter, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. What did Jesus say? He has all authority in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. You have my authority to go anywhere that is in the will of God and spread the fame of Jesus Christ. You have the right to do that wherever you are. you know what, there's a hyperbole here that seems in parentheses. As I read this, I can't help but thinking of 2 Corinthians that, that reads that for He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we, and, and I remember hearing someone say that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in Him. Read it this way, and it's certainly assumed that way. Verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that ye who were poor. And again, that would be not an understatement. That would be an overstatement. A sinner without Christ being described as poor? Poor is a gracious term versus condemned, hell-deserving, forever in the blackness of darkness in eternal damnation. I wonder if that's why that statement isn't in there, that we who are poor might become rich. I think being described as poor is a kindness the lost soul. The description is really you're an enemy of God. You're condemned to die, but that we might become rich. And again, I think it's an understatement. We were lost, condemned, and we've been saved and found. We were blind, but now we see. We were sinful, and now we're forgiven. We were condemned, and now we're justified. We were doomed and now we're delivered. Yes, we can say we were poor and now we're rich. But again, that seems like a kindness to lost. you ever been lost in the woods? Lost somewhere and you really are scared? You you know you could die? You know there's a wild animal somewhere or a cliff? Or you're just... You don't know, you have any ideas who who is out there. Lost or blind. Have any of us ever been blind? That has to be a terrible malady. Only a Christian who is blind can find grace in it. Fanny Crosby, and I think Tanya was reading the hymn history to me the other day, Fanny Crosby was often... Um, pitied by people because she was blind she wrote many hymns and she said why are you pitying me do you know that I have the great, one of the greatest privileges in the world that the first face I'll see ever is Jesus face the first face I'll get to see is the face of my Savior what's that hymn I shall know him. How will you know him, Fanny? You don't you've never seen him. You you've never heard of just I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. I shall know him. We were sinful. We were condemned. We were doomed. And God says now through Christ's poverty we have become rich. That's Christmas, brother and sister. It's Christmas. So often, Christmas has become just a sentimental family holiday, and Christ is forgotten, or he's off to the side now. And I know the Bible doesn't command us to uh, to observe Christmas or Easter. Easter is every Sunday, really, isn't it? And by the way, if, if you if you read, you know, many of these historical books, Jesus was probably born in the spring because the shepherds usually weren't out in the fields at night in the winter and because of the fact that Jesus was actually born in 4-6 to 6 B.C. But having, having said that, it's, it's proper to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' Ascension, Thursday Ascension, Ascension Thursday. It's proper to, to celebrate the death of Christ, the Lord's Supper the resurrection, the Lord's day. And it's proper to celebrate the Lord's birth. And this is a description of, of His coming from heaven's splendor to earth's darkness and doom. When Jesus became poor. He who was rich became poor that because of you and me, that we through His poverty might become rich. Let's not forget that. Let's not push the truth of Christ to the outskirts of our conversation, of our celebrations, of our dinners, of our times together. Let's not be ashamed of the Savior. Let's pray that many people will become rich spiritually this year and the year to come by trusting in the One who owns the cattle of a thousand hills and became impoverished and condemned that we might be delivered from so great a death, so great a salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. Lord, thank You for the truth. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You, the Word, the living Word, became flesh dwelt among us. And they beheld Your glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, what grace and truth! Oh, what grace! Lord, that You would take human flesh and human mind, that You would live and die in our place. Oh, Lord, thank You for delivering us from the righteous wrath of God. Thank You for including us in the number of Thy people. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for forgetting the days without number, for being ashamed of the Gospel. Oh, please, does a star blush to shine for Your glory? How could we dare to blush to reflect the one who was rich and became poor that we who were condemned might become rich thank you Lord that the best is yet to be Lord that there's a clean slate as we plead your blood and pray for a new beginning and that you would use us at the end of this year and if you would give us more time that we would glorify you in the year to come And that this gospel truth might be unleashed and the power of God be shown in the salvation of sinners, the enriching of hell-deserving souls. Thank You, Lord, for this day, for this time together. Seal these truths to our hearts. Don't let us forget them. Don't let us be victims of the devil who seeks to steal the seed, the thoughts, the affection of us toward Thee. We pray that You would defeat the devil in his attempts to smear Your name. May we glorify Your name, for You are worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's turn together.